So today we have fun with FOIA. Do you know what FOIA stands for, Carly? You just, Joe. He said it. <laughs> Freedom of Information Act. Hey, there you go. Hey, ding, 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 ding. Well Woo. done. Yes, today it is Sunshine Week. It's a big deal for reporters, but also for other people who care about, I guess, transparency in government and stuff like that. We all should. We should. And after this podcast, you will. Uh, we are talking to Craig Mauger. He is uh, cover state government for the Detroit News here in downtown Lansing. And he is our guest on the Cold Cold Meal Podcast. Uh, <laughs> didn't your microphone break when we were no i was an idiot i think i had something muted and wasn't paying attention you okay it's my allergies <laughs> literally i have covid no i don't <laughs> <laughs> so funny. i don't have covid jimmy got tested you couldn't have I'm like edited that better <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his desk. It's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, there's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and... Maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Say that! <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I'm really, just, I'm really just carrying the weight today. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm looking around the he room. Always does. No one's helping. It's just a one-man one man thing. <laughs> this is uh, Matt Resch, uh, uh, owner of Resch Strategies. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm here in downtown Lansing, Michigan. We are on the fourth floor. I shouldn't say where we are in the building. People could actually find us. We don't want that. We're in the yeah. Naps building. In the Naps building. Well, downtown you already Lansing. said it. So <laughs> here comes the OSHA penalty. Yeah. It's in the mail. Quick, put your mask on. Um, you can find us at reststrategies.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at reststrategies. Um, our podcasts are also on Spotify and they're on Apple Podcasts and of course on Twitter at Cold Oatmeal Pod. So I'm going to go around the room. It's, this will be a quick trip because there's no one here. <laughs> not, yeah. I shouldn't say no one. Um, our, our good friend Stephanie is not with us today. Uh, Laura is not with us today. And Nikki is not with us today. But here in the, the, the studio, we have Joe Bashy, Carly Buell. And on the Zoom, Nick DeLu is here. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, I got you, Matt. I got you. That's great. Dedicated team member. That's right. So do you know who's we're, we're taping? Uh, no one cares when we're taping. We're taping on a Thursday. Um, <laughs> you know whose birthday it is today, Joe? I do. I, do. I haven't wished him happy I'm birthday, not, this but isn't I do what, know. This isn't what happened last time. <laughs> <laughs> do you know whose birthday it is? Yeah. Whose is it? Uh, is, is this going to be a big splash? Oh. oh, there you go. Yeah. It's the whale. The whale's birthday. I'm going to have to dig up that effect. That's the oh, and for people who don't know who we're talking about, tough because we don't actually mention his name, but it is his birthday. <laughs> it is the whale. Happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday. Whale. Today we are you... going to talk to um, a reporter here in downtown Lansing. His name is Craig Mauger. Uh, Craig covers state government and politics in Michigan for the Detroit News. Before that, he was uh, a researcher and a reporter at the campaign Michigan Campaign Finance Network and MERS News. Uh, we also discovered that, um, you know, luck would have it, he's a, a Hoosier. 
a fellow a fellow Indiana. Um, Nobody's perfect. Yeah, well, two of us, <laughs> two of us are on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um it is sunshine week which is a which is a i don't know it's a it's a big thing it's a thing that they that uh, a lot of the reporters um uh journalism associations really promote this time of year to focus on transparency in in government in particular and there's been a lot of talk about the freedom of information act here in michigan uh we are recording here on, on a thursday when the state legislature is actually voting to uh, apply foia rules to themselves um, been a, a big topic of conversation. Craig has really been at the center of all of that. He's been doing some amazing reporting um, through his use of FOIA. And so we thought, what better person to have on this week to talk to us about this, this topic and to learn us all a little bit on the FOIA and what it is. So with that, Craig Mauger, the Detroit News. So Craig Mauger, the Detroit News, thanks so much for being with us on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. This is your first first time. We love having new reporters. Uh, you're not a new reporter, but a new guest to the podcast. So thanks for being with us because, you know, it is it is Sunshine Week. And as we were just telling you before we got started, this we're recording on a Thursday, but this will be coming out next Thursday. So I was thinking... I was waiting all day for the text from you to say, yeah, you know what? Your little piddly podcast, I can't make it because 18,000 things are happening today. And I'm just curious how you, so let's just count things. We started the day with the governor and the health director saying, former health director saying, okay, our confidential agreement is, is off. You can, mm -hmm. you can ask as we want. And then a judge in Flint says the Snyder case is going to go forward. Mm -hmm. And then the legislature starts passing bills on FOIA stuff. Mm -hmm. So a lot going on. How do you manage a day like this? Yeah, it's a, uh, I ask myself the same question sometimes. <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, well, first off, you know, it's a team effort, just like any of the news organizations in Lansing, where it's, you know, I have a coworker in our bureau who's been on the podcast before, she I has. think, Bethel Blanc. And she's got I, her mug. Yeah, and I have a number of editors that help me. And a lot of the things that happened today, you know, we've been reporting on previously for multiple months. We knew the Flint ruling was going to come today. Um, the Gordon and Whitmer news was a surprise. So that had had me scrambling a little bit. But yeah, it's just, you know, you do one thing and then you move on to the next thing and try to accomplish it just like anything else. So I, I asked this, Craig, knowing that folks are only going to hear this a week from now. We promise not to, not to leak the content beforehand, but what's the, what's the first question you want to get answered um, on that, the Gordon Whitmer thing without getting too political? Uh, the first question. So I, I, I'm of the understanding she's having a press conference tomorrow. So I don't know if I'll get to ask a question or not, but I mean, the, the first question, I mean, the, the real question I would like to get answered is, can you specify what the disagreement was about and what happened in the final days leading up to Friday, January 22nd, that said, we can no longer have this arrangement. We can no longer work together to lead the state's response to COVID because that's what they were doing. I mean, we still, we know a lot more more than we knew uh, last week, but we still don't know what the specific issues were, what kind of guidance the health director was providing her that she may or may not have agreed with or not, or, or, or who knows what, what happened. But I mean, those, that information, I think the public is entitled to because this involves the public's health in many ways. And that's why so many people are interested in it. It's going to be fun having the timestamp on here. So a week from now when this goes live, We'll find out if you got the answer <laughs> or if you got to ask your question. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? So I'm, I'm curious what, obviously we're a year who we just passed the kind of year anniversary of all this happening. Um, what has your job as a reporter been like this year? How has it been different from 
years before? Uh, it's just been, it's been in many ways, just chaos for, for not the whole last year, but much of the year in terms of, uh, for me and for other reporters, because we were covering not only the election, but we were covering state government. And then, you know, that's enough in a presidential election year to keep you extremely busy, but to throw on top of all of that, a pandemic that has become the dominating story. I mean, that's it's a lot of work, especially in the first six months after March 10, 2020, uh, the amount of work that we were doing in terms of there was news happening at all hours of the day. And we were pretty much on call constantly into the night decisions were being made. So, I mean, it was just very chaotic. Has it been easier or harder with the fact that you really can't travel a ton like before if news was yeah. happening you'd be have you'd, you'd have to spend time going to the governor's office or going to this thing or going to yeah. that thing but you can pretty much hold up and do a lot of this online has that made things easier or is it more challenging there's positives and negatives to it i think it makes it easier in some regards you don't you don't feel like you have to be on the house floor every day covering house session you don't feel like you have to go over to the senate chamber every day uh to uh, just monitor what's going on there. But at the same time, you know, the access that the press has to a lot of these decision makers is cut way down. And I think you all will appreciate this and your listeners that there's just been a, a totally different relationship between the press corps in Lansing and the PR people and the people who work for uh, legislative leaders. I mean, it's just the thing where you go from seeing those people every day and interacting with them every day and seeing their face mm -hmm. and knowing more about them to, you know, oftentimes faceless emails, right. Which can come across in a totally different way. So it's really changed things. And we don't get as many questions answered from anyone because we can't just walk and find them. Um, it's, it's a much more difficult uh, process. So yeah, I can remember when I was the press secretary or the speaker, I would always just be in the back room on days when I didn't want to have to make eye contact with some one of you who's going to ask me a question because I was like, today's not a day I want to answer a question because I'm not sure I have a, a good one or one I want to share. So, but you're right. It's like just all that, that FaceTime, those relationships got to be struggling. So, yeah, it's totally different. I mean, I was thinking about it a lot with, with everything that's gone on with the Senate majority leader because I often cover the Senate and it's, you know, in normal times, the Senate majority leader basically has to do a scrum with reporters once a week because we're all there there's basically one way in and out of the building and it's right by where the press normally sits and now because of you know we're not on the senate floor we're in the gallery if we go over there i mean it's just he doesn't have to do a scrum and he could go long long periods of not answering questions and that's his choice but it definitely changes the relationship in, in, in ways and in recent months it's probably wise that he doesn't talk a whole lot you would be the expert on that. I don't know. But I mean, Nick, Nick giggles in the background. <laughs> but, de but definitely to not, to not, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have that idea in his mind that I'm going to have to go over to the press desk after this right. and answer their questions right. any longer. So we were talking before. Congratulations, you're a Hoosier. That's pretty cool. Yes. So that's, <laughs> we'll get that out of the way first. I appreciate that. So walk us through a little bit for people who don't know you well, how you got into covering politics and state government. As a reporter. Yeah, that's uh, I 
pretty much always wanted to be a political reporter. I'm, I'm the person that when I was in middle school, I would give my class updates on the presidential <laughs> primary campaigns. That was what my history teacher taught me to do. So I always wanted to do it. I worked for local newspapers covering local politics in Indiana. I wanted to get into covering state politics. And I saw a job posting for this thing I had never heard of called MERS News. And I was like, <laughs> what is that? I don't, I don't really know because um, I was from Indiana and they were hiring a, a political reporter. I was like, well, it's a chance to uh, cover state government. So uh, my wife and I took quite a risk and said, let's go. They, they hired me. I was lucky to get the job and we went there and it was just an amazing experience where I got to learn from, from Kyle Malin and work with some other really great journalists. And uh, I learned a lot about Michigan government kind of fell in love with covering politics here. So I worked there for a while, uh, for about four years. Then I went to the campaign finance network because I took a huge interest in writing about money and politics. And I'm one of those people who likes numbers. And I worked there for four years. And then last October, October, 2019, I started working at the Detroit news. So that's everything. Okay. I'm curious. So um, I've, you know, I'm talking to Zach Gorchow over at, at Gongwer and Kyle too. It's writing for those two publications. I mean, just immerses you in having to cover state, state government. And I don't know if you've talked to Kyle or John at all about this over at MERS, but I've noticed, and this isn't a new thing. They've, it's, they've been doing it for a number of months now, but now they're, they're putting out many editions a couple times a day. Like it's not just breaking news headlines. They're doing short articles throughout the day that they're they're and sometimes not even all that short. It's like they're constantly publishing new editions. Yeah. I'm amazed by the amount of content they're yeah. both putting out right now. And they're, I look at both of their editions. We subscribe to both of them, Gungwer and Merce. And each day it's just, you know, they, they hit all of the major subjects every day, which right now that's a lot of that's stuff to stuff. hit for, you know, they do, they do a great job. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're working at those publications, you're basically as immersed in the day-to-day -day of state government as you possibly could be as a reporter. Cause you're sitting in, you know, three committee hearings a day right. <laughs> for hours, listening to everything that's said. And it's also one of those things where you learn a lot from your relationships with the lawmakers, because every day you're working with the same people you're showing up to deal with the same lawmakers as you as you as you know and it's you know that that makes you a much better reporter so if you couldn't cover politics is there a topic or a beat you would prefer that's uh interesting <laughs> i've never thought about that i mean it'd probably be uh more just working on data related to other yeah. things just because that's something else that i like to do is pulling spreadsheets and rearranging them but you know everything is tied back to politics in one way or another so the, the <clears throat> your immersion in politics and covering it hasn't lessened your interest in it because i've had i've had i've wondered and i had a friend who loved the cleveland indians and it was his dream to become a PR guy for the Cleveland Indians. And then once he got that internship and he spent his yeah. nonstop like running numbers back and forth, he's like, this, my, my passion of the Indians has turned into a job and I don't like this anymore. Yeah. Uh, it might've changed a little bit, you know, early on, like many people who dream of going into journalism or want to go into journalism, they read, you know, these 
these books that are about the campaign trail and covering, you know, riding on the bus and covering these campaigns. And I was interested in that early on. And as my career has gone on, I'm like, that's nothing. <laughs> I am. When the campaign is over, I'm like, I'm so glad that the election is over and we can move on. And, you know, I've, I've shifted more from being really interested in the day to day of the campaigns to, to obviously digging into what happens with state government and Sunshine Week trying to pry information out of state government that they might not want to hand over. So, so excellent transition. I wanted to, I wanted to have you on. I was thinking about this um, before I even realized it was Sunshine Week, but um, I want to talk about FOIA a little mm -hmm. bit because that's been a big topic of conversation over the last few weeks and in large part because of, I think it was your FOIA of the, the separation uh, agreement that uh, Director Gordon and, and the Whitmer administration had that kind of kicked off this conversation. Mm -hmm. And just for, for our listener, can I just I want to ask you a couple of basic questions about yeah. it and then just get your take on it. So yeah. let's just start it off by what what is FOIA? Why is it important? Yeah, so FOIA is the law that we have in Michigan that they have at the federal level as well that says that there are a lot of state records, most state documents, most taxpayer-funded documents should be available to the public upon the public's request. There's an entitlement to records that the government holds that the public has. And this is late 60s on the federal level. I think it was created in like the mid-70s. It was, it was done in Michigan. 76 here. 76. Yeah. And so the issue that we have, at least in downtown Lansing at the, the point, this point is that most of 90% of state government is covered. Yes. The legislature and the governor's office are not. That's right. So the, and that's hard to explain to people because, you know, the state departments, Robert Gordon, who was the health director, his department is subject to FOIA. He's part of the Whitmer administration, but the internal office, the executive office is exempt from FOIA. So I can request emails Robert Gordon sends and receives from members of the executive office. But if I sent that same request to the executive office and said, I want the executive office's emails to Robert Gordon, um, they would say, we don't fall under FOIA. You can't have them through this request, likely. So walk us through this process. So you get an idea, you get an idea or, and this doesn't have, you don't have to be a reporter to issue mm, a FOIA request. Anyone. Anybody can do it. Walk us through the, how you do it. What's the process of where do you send it? How do you say it? What do you, do you email it, mail yeah. it? How's it work? So it's actually pretty easy in Michigan to, to file a FOIA, at least. There, there have been changes to the law over the past, past years that have made it uh, easier for someone to file a FOIA request. Every state agency and local governments are supposed to have a page on their website that explains how to FOIA them. So if you do some creative Googling, you can usually type in like, hey, I want to you know, city of Lansing FOIA and a page will probably pop up that says, here's where you send your FOIA request. If you want a document from the city of Lansing and a FOIA doesn't have to be some amazing legal document that is, you know, here's a form I got from some entity that explains the law and says all of these legal, you know, legal pieces of language. A FOIA could just be a sentence. And a lot of my FOIA requests are just two sentences. Hey, I'm requesting this email from this person between these two dates. I mean, a FOIA, uh, there is no requirement that it includes a citation to the law or anything like that. It just needs to be sent to the right person, state that say, hey, under the Freedom of Information Act, I'm requesting this document. And, that, and it can be as simple as that. So is it not the case, I've, and maybe this is part of the, the changes that you mentioned, but is it not the case that it, it I've heard, of, I'll back up, I've heard of FOIAs being declined because they weren't prescriptive enough and, and saying, you know what, 
Good, yeah. Good try, but you didn't word that sentence exactly that, right. That's a great, a great point as well. I mean, and that's the mistake a lot of people make, even reporters. You don't want to file a FOIA request that are overly broad. Like someone could file a FOIA request with the Department of Health and say, I want all of the emails about the restaurant epidemic order. The Department of Health could come back and say, well, we have hundreds, if not thousands of employees, and you want us to go through every single one of their email accounts and figure out you know, <laughs> what they said about the restaurant epidemic order. So there's definitely an art to this of trying to make the request specific enough that you're getting what you're, you're, you're seeking and also that it won't cost you a tremendous amount of money because the government is essentially reimbursed for any of the costs related to fulfilling your FOIA from your own pocket. Walk us through that cost part because that's that's another thing too, right? You can get okay. We can get we can get you this information, but it's going to cost you five thousand dollars, and that's or ten thousand. That's the number one hurdle to getting a FOIA request fulfilled. Often is the cost the cost hurdle in terms of any the state or a local municipality gets to charge you essentially the hours that it takes them uh, for staff time to fulfill your FOIA request if there's printing involved. That can be charged if if there is legal analysis needed and a lawyer who, you know, usually makes a decent wage has to come in and look over whether your request can be fulfilled and whether there is anything that has to be redacted. All of those things can be applied to your FOIA request and the, and the government agency will tell you before they fulfill your FOIA request, here's how much money you're going to owe us. And if it's a large amount, they might say you need to give us half of this before we start working to put all of this together. And then it's on you to figure out whether or not you want them want it bad enough to pay for it. Or is there any kind of mediation or negotiation on that? You know, there, there can be a negotiation, you know, you could say, and I've done this before, you know, if you request seven days of emails from someone and they tell you uh, that's going to be a thousand dollars and you think that's too much money, uh, you could say, what if I just did two days of emails, these two days, and then that would likely shrink the cost. Another trick that I often use is if I say, well, I want all of the emails sent by and received by a certain official, if they give me a very large price, I will change my request to say, I want all the emails just sent by the person. Because a lot of times you'll get, if they're responding to an email, you'll get the email they're responding to down in the email. So that's another way to lower the cost of your request. Is that a, is that a way around it? Or is that just them not taking the time to be explicit in what you ask for? Like if, if they're just going to hit print and get all, the, the entire thread of responses and, and, and sent messages um, and you just happen to get lucky with that stuff? Or could they have just said, okay, you asked for exactly what he sent and I have now deleted all of the, 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 the thread that followed? No, that they, I mean, they will usually just give you the full yeah. email thread. I don't know exactly what the legal history of that is, but they usually do. I mean, uh, it, from my experience, the FOIA coordinators usually want to comply uh, at least at the state level, they want to comply. And at the local level, they usually want to comply with the request. I mean, they definitely have hurdles that they face in terms of, of trying to meet, meet those requirements. And there are lots of exemptions in the law where they can redact things or not give you something, you know, um, you know, a lot, one that we often run into is if, if a discussion is prior to a final decision, you know, if it's part of a deliberation, they could potentially, uh, redact that and not provide it to you. So, and most, and I, I know the state 
every department has at least one person who is like the designated FOIA coordinator, correct? Yes. Yes. So they have FOIA coordinators and under uh, the governor's uh, executive order, I think it was an order or directive last year when she took over, uh, they also have transparency liaisons who you can contact and ask for help if you have a FOIA request. So. Now walk us through the, the legislature because the legislature is kind of a strange beast, right? They have their, they have certain rules about things that they send out and share, but not everything, right? Yeah. So if you if you try to FOIA request individual lawmakers or the House as a whole and try to get a, a record setting FOIA, they will tell you, uh, you know, most likely they will say, hey, we don't fall under this. Under current practice, financial records of the legislature, I mean, this is a constitutional requirement, financial records of, of government are supposed to be made available. And also, uh, FOIA does say the agencies and commissions of the legislature are subject to FOIA. And the legislature has a narrow interpretation of that language. Others, like the Detroit News and me, we have a different interpretation yeah. of what that's supposed to mean. Okay. So. So Nick, and I don't know if you have any questions here, but I had a couple of devil's advocate things I wanted to throw out, Craig. <laughs> awesome. You, you go for it. I, I've, I've got a bunch of questions about social media that I can't wait to get into about Twitter. Okay, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> you go ahead with your devil's advocate questions. So here's, <laughs> in talking with some folks, uh, friends of mine who work for large institutions, and I mm -hmm. worked in the legislature, I worked in the governor's office. The arguments are often, this is just going to be a big fishing expedition. You got a massive institution in today's media world of social media and, and canceling and just looking for things to get people stuck on, I'm going to go ask for the world because I know someone said something stupid in an email and I'm going to hang them out to dry. And I know lawmakers are probably afraid of that. And, and I think people who like people, for example, who may have worked at Michigan State or U of M or other public bodies who are like these massive FOIA requests that things just get caught up and all of a sudden become a big story. Any, you have any response to that argument? Well, particularly in the legislature, I would say if you look at FOIA requests that are filed, the organizations that do the largest fishing expeditions and tend to look for things to embarrass people are those lawmakers' own parties. <laughs> I mean, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, if you're running for state house and you served on a township board 20 years ago, and you're in a competitive district, you can probably go look and there's probably a FOIA request looking for everything you did while you were a township officials. That's what the parties do a lot of the times. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but uh, a lot media outlets generally aren't doing widespread fishing expeditions just to find things to embarrass people. I mean, we're looking for pieces of public information that are newsworthy and we don't have the money to fund <laughs> If I go to my editor and say, hey, I need $500 because I'm just looking to see if there's something embarrassing in this person's email, he's going to be like, no, I'm going to spend that on hiring a freelancer to do this important story that we want to do. Like, That's not going to get the funding. So, okay. yeah. What about this one? The, the our argument is often, look, although <clears throat> recent months would belie this, this mm -hmm. theory, government is about compromise. It's about conversations. It's about tough, tough conversations that we can have when people aren't watching because we have to, we know that if we did this in front yeah. of a TV camera, the results will be different than if we could do it in, in you know, mm -hmm. in behind closed doors, one-on-one. -on -one. And if those conversations are exposed to the public, we're not going to be able to have this, these kind of conversations. Well, my, my, uh, initial comical response would be like, <laughs> what kind of, what type of compromises are they reaching right now? 
I mean, I maybe covered... not a timely example. <laughs> I, I, I grant you that. I mean, I cover Senate session, you know, every day, just about, and they're mostly debating resolutions right now. So I would say that, but I would also say, you know, 48 other states subject the legislature and governor's office to some type of FOIA already. So the idea that this is debilitating toward government's ability to function is not uh, backed up by the facts of what's happening on the ground anywhere else. Okay. What about the cost and the time argument? And I guess this goes a little bit back to the fishing expedition, but if you're an organization that is your Mm -hmm. job is to educate students in the university or your Mm -hmm. job is to do X, Y, and Z and, and, I'm our people are spending all their time looking for documents and tracking down emails and answering yeah. FOIA requests. I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my day job because I'm doing this. What is. Yeah. So I, on that, I would say also two things. I mean, one, one of the answers would be the FOIA request fees are usually charged to people to cancel out the burden on government of meeting, you know, of getting these documents. So there should be, I'm not a person that says all these documents should be provided freely. I understand that there's a cost to providing them. The other thing is this has a public utility. This is not just media members out there digging for things to do, you know, just to help our own cause or something. I'll give you an example that Antrim County had these election uh, so many conspiracy theories about what happened with the election. Can you said had. I, <laughs> they still have. I, they're they still, still have. out there. Yeah. Still have. But I would say one of the things that helped Antrim County a lot in trying to debunk these conspiracy theories is they they sent out hundreds of their internal emails to me when I requested them, and they charged me a, a relatively small fee for them compared to what the state would charge, they sent out hundreds of these emails and said, here, look at them. You requested them, look at them. We're not going to make it difficult for you. Take the hundreds of emails and you can see that we identified this issue of what occurred within hours of it occurring. And when we wrote a story about that, I got tons of emails from people that said, I was unsure about what happened in Antrim County, but now that you've shown this and explained it, I understand what happened there. So there's a public utility to providing transparency and opening the books and saying, we have nothing to hide. You can see for yourself what occurred. And in this day and age where conspiracy theories are everywhere, Mm -hmm. this is one of the true ways that we can debunk these things if if they're, you know, not credible. Are there any unwritten rules to the release of this information from, a, and I, I asked this question because I think you may have gotten caught up in this a little bit, where someone FOIAs for something and the person who has to hand it over realizes, okay, this is gonna, this could mm-hmm. be, this could be something. Um, how do we get in front of this? Let's let's give it to everybody, or let's give it to this person, or let's we'll answer the FOIA, but we'll do it later after we've given it. Is there any kind of unwritten like baseball rules here about you know how these how people release this information i mean i think it's just like anything else with the relationship between journalists and you know uh, communications folks is that if you do those things if you if i was the person that paid or my news outlet was the person the entity that paid hundreds of dollars to make a FOIA request possible to do multiple requests to find a specific record and you turn around and say well i'm going to leak it to this other outlet that didn't specifically request this record just because i don't want this person to have it first you know you can do that one time but now going forward i'm always going to know that that's how you might handle this and it's just one of those things where 
it's just an awareness and, 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 and people who works in work in communications do that to reporters all the time. And rightfully so you see how we handle things and then you maybe change your strategy going forward with how you deal with that particular reporter. Okay. So before I unleash Nick on you with his social media questions, <laughs> one observation, and this is, I heard this on a podcast, so it has to be true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard that the reason why there is, you know, the, the Twitter, Facebook, social media, um, you know, kind of barrage of Florida man headlines, mm-hmm. you know, Florida man eaten by algae, Florida man does these kind of things is because the Florida sunshine laws are so expansive that every single mugshot and criminal mm-hmm. interaction is, is it just kind of just released to the public? And so there are these websites that go around and it's so easy to find these crazy stories. So it's not so much that all of these crazy things are happening just in Florida to dumb men in Florida. It's that because Florida sunshine laws are so open that it's easy to find stories. I, I, they do have, have some of the best transparency laws. I've not heard that theory before. I don't know the credibility of the Florida man stuff because, you know, I, I just don't know, but I do watch it and there are some pretty outlandish things that happen. So. Well, I think we should get, we, we should open it up in Michigan for no other reason that we should, we need to have the Michigan man thing come up because we do a lot of dumb things here. That's too. an argument I have not heard. We should yet. do that. Uh, that <laughs> the, the legislature may be even more opposed if they know that that could be. Could be. There, there are still a number of the local papers still publish crime blotters. I'm thinking of the Midland Daily, oh, yeah. um, and and you can get some pretty interesting Mid- Midland man stuff coming out of there. Okay, Nick, you've been waiting, yeah, anxiously, patiently. Well, yeah, right. Um, so, I, super interested, Craig, because you provide great value on social media. At least to me, I found <laughs> great value following you on Twitter. <laughs> this is the chance, by the way, after I ask my question for you to plug your Twitter account. Um, do you? Do you get any value out of social, um, professionally, personally, or is it just a drag to have to be doing your job, following all these committees, chasing down all these politicians, writing all these stories? Oh, by the way, you've got to beat eight other publications to the to the punch on Twitter too. I don't know. I love Twitter. I know a lot of people will probably say that they don't enjoy it, but I like it. I mean, it's, I I like interacting with people and seeing, I mean, there are definitely some things on there that are just vile and it's, there's a lot of false information being spread on there, but I like the interaction. And I also, it's a tool too, for journalists. It's a tool to get our information out and plug the work that we're doing. It's also a, a tool in our research because, you know, I tell this to people all the time, other reporters, you know, Every one of those, a lot of the lawmakers, maybe not every one of them, but a lot of the lawmakers, the people that work for the lawmakers, the people that work for interest groups, you know, they're all monitoring what we're saying and doing on there. And that's something you can use to your advantage or, you know, um, it's also uh, if, you know, if you're trying to, to get a piece of information, you can exert pressure on social media to try to get the piece of information. So, I mean, I, it's been, it's been a great tool to be, to use, to advance uh, journalism, I think. And, and some might, might disagree with me, but that's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, I, I've observed that it's, it's changed the 24 hour news cycle. I mean, it's really, you know, it's the next tweet news cycle. It's as quick as you guys can get something up. So there's the the constant chase there. I've also noticed there's a ton of um, very, maybe we should call it personal interaction or hyper-personal. And maybe, maybe it's not even interaction, but folks uh, reaching out to you and to other journalists with, with their own two cents. Have there, I guess, what's the most creative name you've ever been called uh, on social media and then oh, I, I, and then i know even recently 
Craig, with the things you've been covering, I know you've been absolutely um, savaged by Republicans one day and by Democrats the next. Is there, I'm curious if there's one party that's better at the insults than the other. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I think uh, you can find him at Craig D. Mauger <laughs> on Twitter. So yeah. listen, and then you can get your tweets ready now. And look at the replies <laughs> to my tweets, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would say Democrats are, I think, really effective in using Twitter to try to shape coverage and to try to. Uh, I just think there are more. Am I wrong on this? There are more Democrats on Twitter, I just assume. You're not, and I you're think not wrong. I think they're better at trying to trying to I'm not saying they're being successful, but they're trying often. And some of them will admit this when they're talking privately that, hey, we're trying to influence the narrative here. So I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that there have been so many things I've been called, especially after the election, when we were doing a lot of the fact checks on the conspiracy theories. I mean, of late, just there have been just some absolutely absurd accusations on there about me somehow being a part of the conspiracy theory in Antrim County that I'm just like, that just mystify me and are just so incredible. Uh, so what part did you play in it? Craig? They, there, there, was, <laughs> there was a theory that like, the clerk in Antrim County was leaking me information that, that involved in a court case. And I just, I hadn't, I have not spoken to her in, in over a month. And it was just, it's, it's bizarre. Some of the things that take flight. Well, if, you, if you didn't own a lake house up there. That's podcast Antrim County of all places. Anything else, Nick, you got your, you all oh, out? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I'm all out. I, um, I appreciate you, Matt, um, plugging the Twitter. We should do that again uh, because there, there is at Craig D. Mauger. There you go. There is there is great value in there. And um, no, I I think you're right. It's an interesting observation about um, activism on the the platform and, and folks trying to influence coverage. I um, I'd have to source it. Maybe we can track it down um, for the show notes here, um, which I know we publish all the time. Jake is like committing to what's going to be in the show notes. Like he even <laughs> right. knows how to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, th- th- there have been studies that it is a, a platform where the the majority of users um, tend to be self-described dem- Democrats or progressive. Um, so it's an interest- interesting to hear Craig that he's noticed that. I, I heard once that it was, and this was after the election that it was like, 14% of the American public is on Twitter yeah. and it's breaks down like eight to four, like eight to four on the left. Right? Not eight to five. My math is My math is, is good. Eight to six, 8% is Democrat leading 6% Republican leading. That's what I, I, oh, that's, I inter- that's interesting. That's interesting. But it's it also beautiful. is, it, it also is interesting in, in how small the number is yeah. 14% of, of the country. And you would think in the worlds that we live in, it's 98% of the country. Yeah. It's definitely a vocal 14%. Very yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen have you seen it change the way elected members of the House and Senate act because they know their their words can be on Twitter in a moment's notice as opposed to you could say something stupid on the House floor back in the day and no one would care. And except, I mean no one and no one would ever find out about it. And now it's just it's nonstop. Yeah, it's nonstop. I mean, I think they definitely are more than them than would admit it. <laughs> are monitoring it all the time and i'll get you know i'll tweet something you know and mention a lawmaker and occasionally i will get a text message within three minutes why did you do that or what is this you know like what do you mean by this i don't like the tone of this so i mean i'm always amazed by 
by the number of lawmakers that are monitoring it. And maybe you'll look at their Twitter accounts like you haven't tweeted in six months, but they're definitely, you know, watching it and, and, and keeping up to date on what the conversation is. Oh, yeah. And you think they would be more aware of what they were saying if they if they knew and were if they were prone to get so upset about what yeah. reporting what they said, maybe they should just sit down and keep their mouth shut. <laughs> I won't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've always thought, because, and I'm not going to name names, but some of the legislators who are the most effective are the ones you never hear from. They sit in their chairs and they vote and they never say anything. And, or they say, they, they say what they have to say in the caucus room or in meetings yeah. with their colleagues. And, and those they, are the ones when they get up and do talk, everyone's like, shh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tweet this quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, Craig, I appreciate you coming by on this awesome. busy sunshine week and on this busy Thursday of news. Uh, we will, as as Nick notes, we will put all of these predictions in the show notes. We'll as we'll ta we'll task Nick with with uh, typing up the show notes for this week, and we I'm will hold it. you. I'm, to, I'm already on it. <laughs> we'll hold you to the things that you uh, you have. Anything, Joe, Carl? You've been verbose as usual. <laughs> I'm just listening, man. No, Do you think I understand any of this? I wanted no. to say halfway through, should we what say what FOIA stands for? But I thought that would be because I definitely don't know. This is like more interesting than any lecture I had in school. So wow, I feel like no. I've learned a lot. Wow. There we go. Okay. Well, Craig Mauger, thanks for stopping by the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. We are back. Greg Mauger has left, has left the studio. That was fun. Craig it was, was fun. I don't, I didn't know Craig. Well, um, we've, we've emailed, we've been more email, uh, buddies than we are. I, buddies probably a stretch. You're probably going to think that's inappropriate, but, um, <laughs> more email, email colleagues than I am than person than face to face. Twitter pals, yeah, Twitter pals. Good, good to get And the fact that he's a Hoosier, even better. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. So we don't, haven't done this often, although, I, we should do this. I think we, you know, we don't have ads advertising here on the podcast. We're mm -hmm. non-for-profit podcast. Yeah. We, if we weren't, radio. we would have tons of them. I'm sure. I mean, I'll take it. If people want to give us money, I will gladly read an ad badly for someone. If they'd like to advertise on, on the, the megaphone that is the cold oatmeal podcast. Um, but I think it's proven that we move product. I mean, Chris Johnson should, yeah. if he, if we were to FOIA him, Oh and, yeah, <laughs> and, and tell him to come clean. We have moved. We have moved cod liver oil, uh, yep. and spirulina corella, and some a little some wheatgrass. I know we have at, at least around the office. Definitely. No, I neighbors neighbors have told me they bought this stuff. People have looked them up and have gotten stuff. So, in the vein of that, I did want to do a, a bit of an advertisement here, and this is a, a pro bono one, but one that is important. And Nick will know this, and, and Joe will know this. So, and this is. We'll have fun here, but in all seriousness, because you know how, how that goes. I have no idea where you're going. Keep I going. know that's part of what <laughs> keep you on your toes. This is this is a very serious podcast. Um, our friends at the, at ThinkSpace. So ThinkSpace is a meeting facility in downtown Lansing. Yeah, they're um, great. The website is thinkspacelab.com. We have held um, a couple of meetings there. We had a, a staff retreat there before, back when. Carly, when we Carly like half, is probably half, yeah. Carly's probably um, in high school when we did that. Staff retreat. I remember you guys, you guys do like uh, team building exercises. We had, and... we had like a, a day long conversation where we explored our 
her wishes and it dreams. Weird. It was weird. It was before for, for, you and it was before Laura too. Yeah, Laura didn't get to experience that either. But yeah. And of, Nikki was here for like two days. Yeah, it was like her second day. It's like, <laughs> hey, so what do you think? Where should we be going? What should we be doing? Anyway, the the state's restrictions on meeting capacity has really been just devastating for companies like ThinkSpace. And, you know, they, I don't even know what they are as far as 20, 20 people or 25%, but it's such a, a cool spot um, in downtown Lansing. And they've got such cool spaces uh, to meet. And I was thinking that, you know, people aren't meeting in their offices anymore. I mean, aside from the three of us who are safely distanced from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, people aren't in their offices anymore. They're not having these meetings and they're not having these conversations. And that if they were looking for a place to kind of get together that isn't just the old office, you know, they could go and go to thinkspace.com. Or I'm guess What's making it. you do this? Just the goodness? Uh, I, the yes, goodness of I'm your a heart? good person. Joe. Don't you Joe. know? Matt is a giver. And we have a lot of good, listeners here. Good person alert. Look, we, we have a responsibility. These microphones offer us a responsibility to do good. We sometimes. sit here and we just waste, waste our time. Usually. It, Usually, but not today, but not Indiana today. isn't in the tournament, so he had some time on his hands while he's browsing through the interwebs. <laughs> no, I, no, I, no, our friend, well, part of, part of me is Tracy Real is, was the winner of our t shirt. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, and she is the owner yeah. of Think Space. She and I were talking when I delivered the t shirt, she and I were talking, and she mm-hmm. was saying, you know what, these restrictions really suck. And we have people are trying to meet, and then, you know, we got just one too many people or this or that, and we'd really like to try to. And so I said, you know, I, I will. Are you telling us that we're also taking another retreat soon? <gasps> we're we? going to move our studios to the Think Space. Awesome. We're going to have so all our meetings. So to carry all this stuff <laughs> somewhere else. But there's a drum set there. There's a drum. That's, there's all that's kinds the of crap. Cool. It, was, it was cool. What is it? Oh. Joe, talk about the place. It's got a, it's I don't cool. remember. I mean, it was just a, I don't remember anything about it. Just that there was a ton of like stuff in there that you could play with. It was just this like room that was like meant to inspire creativity yeah, basically. this just isn't this isn't a meeting or a meeting space it's, there's all kinds of different rooms and nooks and crannies yeah. there's a bar there's a drum set there's a swing it's on the river you can go out and there are tables on on the river um so yeah it's just a really cool place thinkspacelab.com if you're looking for a place just to get together um during these weird times where we're transitioning everyone's getting their shots go have a party get your shots and go carly's getting her yeah. shot I'm getting my shot, so yeah. then we can go hang hope, out, play some drums. Hope I make it long enough to have a meeting there, Carly. I am about spot. to give you my vaccine. <laughs> You're making me feel too guilty. That's probably a workplace violation if I if, <laughs> I, if, I, if I bully you into giving me, letting yeah. me get your shot. Yeah, it's a lawsuit coming down the pipe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, thinkspacelab.com. Um, the real question is: Yeah, did she say the shirt was soft? She did. That was the Good. first thing she said. Good. But she is she is a faithful listener. So I think she was in on the joke when I gave her the shirt. Mm-hmm. She that makes didn't sense. she didn't though put it on. Oof. Which I was a little I she kind of just politely put it on the arm of her chair. We were at dinner. And yeah. I, I brought it in and she just kind of politely put it on the arm. And then as she was leaving, it fell off on the floor. Ooh. And I had to pick it up for her. Ooh. Because I was kind of thinking she might have just we're, left. And we're it still doing this. That feels well, like she didn't want the shirt. Actually, no, the shirt. We could always come back in two weeks to do another ad for ThinkSpace.com if I or ThinkSpaceLab.com if we don't see the T-shirt publicly displayed. So, there you go. Anything else for the good of the good of the order, Carly? You got no, I don't. I think we're well in order at this point. Yeah. I just think we need a new staff retreat on the books here soon. Okay. Well, we can do that. 
thinkspacelab.com. Okay. Nick, thanks for, thanks for calling in. Yeah, my pleasure. Joe, thanks as always for your engineering marveling. Carly? I, I took a photo. Well done. Thank you. Okay. This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is Matt Resch, and we will talk to you next time.